1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The question on everyone's mind right now, is a short-term rally possible? Have some stocks just gotten too cheap to ignore? Our committee selectively buying today will tell you exactly where. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington, Surat T, Joe Terranova, and with me right here on set is Jim Labenthal. Let's check the markets as we always do to begin our show. 12 noon in the East Dow's been down for eight straight weeks. Okay, we're uh, having a nice bounce today. 653 S&P 500 one and three quarters percent to the upside today. It's a nice gain uh, across the board, and you do have some talking about a short-term rally possible. Fund strats. Technical strategist Mark Newton, we talk about him a lot, uh, says 40, t- 40.20 to 40.30 is maybe an area. So we're talking about a modest bounce. 4,100 remains important as resistance. this makes sense to you? I mean, we did get oversold. Not that that really matters much, frankly, uh, because the market has been oversold for a while and continues to go down. But what do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, eight weeks in a row of down on the Dow, that uh, does seem to set up for a short-term bounce. And, Scott, as you know, I think you're going to have more than a short-term bounce. Um, But look, let's just call it what it was. Last week's whatever it was, Friday and and Tuesday rally wasn't much of a bounce. I'm not I'm not calling that. So I I do think we're very oversold here. But, you know, to the bigger picture of why I think we're due for more than a bounce, this really comes down to whether we're going to have a recession or not. Um, I've been consistent in saying that I just don't see it. I thought over the weekend about those reports from Target and Walmart. And a couple of things to consider on this, Scott. Uh, One, top line estimates uh, were beaten. Okay, so the consumer was out there spending. The margins were atrocious, as we know. But think about that for a second. Walmart and Target's expenses are some other company's revenues. As long as the consumer is spending, and we got the retail sales report last week, um, you know, this, this market can continue to hum along, except... Yeah, we're going to have a little bit of a growth slowdown here this quarter and next you look into next year and all those factories that are being built. I tweeted something out on Friday. I saw that a new uh, auto plant announcement was made in Georgia by Hyundai. 5.5 billion for a new EV plant. 8,100 jobs being created. These things are going on all over the country. I just find it hard to get bearish on the economy and the markets from where we are now with that sort of news continuing to come out.
1: Okay, Bryn. I mean, Jamie Dimon today is, says that their investor day, the first one they've had in a, in a while because of COVID, U.S. economy strong, storm clouds that may Dissipate. They affirm their target for seventeen percent returns this year. They raise their net interest income outlook. In other words, it feels like things got awfully negative, awfully fast. The question is, have we overshot the negativity, Bryn?
3: What's 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 challenging here is to, to Jim's point and to Jamie Dimon's point. The economy is still strong. Unemployment's still low. Green shoots. People are still spending. That continues to give the Fed runway to raise rates. And don't forget, the Fed hasn't even started QT. Last month, actually, the balance sheet got bigger. And so I still think we're in this conundrum where, yes, the economy's strong, yes, the consumer's strong, but that gives the Fed more runway. And I do think inflation is going to be sticky. It's going to be higher just because these supply chains aren't easing You have, you know, China shutting down again. And so I think we're gonna continue to be in this tug of war, Scott, for the next at least few months as the Fed is gonna continue to tighten. You know, later on this week, on Wednesday, they released their notes. I think those are still gonna be hawkish, which they're jawboning. And I really feel the Fed already blew it last year, not not stopping QE earlier. And so I think investors just need to be patient. You know, this year can be a year of accumulation. Not necessarily a year of capital appreciation, but I do think we still have tough tough sledding because all of those good data points you just recited to me are negative because they give the Fed more runway to hike rates.
1: Yeah. Uh, Surat, Oppenheimer with a message today to investors. Valuations across major indices are now attractively below their five-year averages. I mean, this goes to the point of have stocks come down too much, as we asked at the very top of the program. Have they come down so much that it's time now to buy or at least put your toe in the water or a couple of toes no one's suggesting you're going to dive full into the into the pool um but they said it's okay to layer in that's the phrase they use to names placed on sale in the mayhem of a sell-off what what do you think about that
4: i agree with that scott if you're a long-term investor and i you know i think not the next quarter the two quarters but you know as Bryn said you can start accumulating here for the long term so some of these stocks whose multiples have just compressed and we know some of the earnings going to be hurt for the next couple of quarters so absolutely if you've got a longer term view uh... there's some high quality companies out there good you know good balance sheets that can weather even if we get a really bad storm in the next couple quarters
1: problem is joe there's so much negativity on the street people are still so bearish it's hard to take a look at stocks that you like and think that now's the time to buy because you're afraid there's going to be more downside that everybody always says oh it's impossible to pick the bottom until it comes time to actually hit the return button on the keyboard to actually put the trade through Um, but what about now
5: i I do think we have the opportunity here over the next four to six weeks uh, for a tradable bounce in the market you have follow through today which has really been missing over the course of 2022 anytime markets have Try to kind of build upon uh, some form of recovery formation. So, you know, there there are some fundamental contributions today. Uh, Broadcom potentially and VMware. That's a mega cap deal that obviously we we would like to see Jamie Dimon's comments and even President Biden's comments where he says he will sit down with uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen upon return to the U. S. and discuss the Chinese tariffs. So. I think those are a confluence of factors, but I think most importantly, Scott, you have to look in terms of how markets are positioned and think about money flow. And if you're running that 60-40 portfolio model, which has been decimated so far this year, Mm -hmm. worst performance in multi-decades, if you're that pension fund, if you're that sovereign wealth, you're going to begin to rebalance back towards equities as we approach year-end and certainly as we approach the first half uh, of 2022 see,
1: mark here's my point right you you bought jp morgan today you had other opportunities to buy it that that stock has been an underperformer relative to some other of the banks but today was the day that you decided to buy it which lends to the question i asked at the very top whether some stocks have just gotten too cheap whether things have gotten too negative too fast and what jamie diamond said today is in part the reason why you're seeing a little bit of a rally Yeah.
5: Well, I I think, in fact, you know, the reasoning for buying J.P. Morgan, and I've sat on the sidelines for that stock. I've been out of it for quite some time, wanted to buy it. I like the confidence from J.P. Morgan. I certainly like the net interest income guidance uh, that that was was walked up higher uh, 26% year-on-year relative to 2021. But I think most importantly, and you know me well, Scott, I'm always looking from the point of reference standpoint. Where's my risk in the market? And markets finally gave me that, J.P. Morgan. You've got a double bottom that exists now at 115. I'm okay stepping in and buy it. I think I bought it at 124.5 earlier this morning. I'm okay buying it there, knowing that management now sounds a little bit more confident, and I have a point of reference against
1: that double bottom at 115. It goes below 115 on a closing basis. I'll be out. Yeah, Jim, you bought more Cisco. Yes, yeah, to, 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 to our point, hang on, Sirat, real quick. I'll come back to you, I promise.
2: Well, sure. and the big point I'm trying to make by buying Cisco is I think this is a stock pickers uh, market, Scott. I don't think this is just throw everything at an ETF. People can, d- can disagree with this, but we know we talked about a Cisco got clobbered on on Thursday. I found that that was uh, a really ill-advised by the market, and I needed to free up some capital to buy more Cisco. So I trimmed Abv. Um, I trimmed what, what else did I trim? I'm drawing a blank. Forgive me on that, but uh, trimmed Dow. Yeah, tr- I trimmed Dow. Right. You know that's been a chemical performance done just fabulously over the last year and a half. Needed some capital. It's simply, you know, you want to sell high and buy low, and the market's giving me an opportunity in Cisco. But I want to make this point larger. Mm-hmm. It's a stock picker's market. I mean, think about just in in the broadcast space, in the streaming space. Netflix really disappointed. Paramount didn't. I, I can go through this, you know, Target and Walmart disappointed in retail. Home Depot didn't. You, I think this is a time to really
1: make stock picks. Okay. Sirat, what do you want to say?
4: I just want to go back to Jamie Morgan. If you remember a couple quarters ago, uh, Jamie Dimon said we're going to spend $15 billion in technology and upgrading our systems, and mm-hmm. the market hated it. And today he comes out saying, hey, listen, we, we, you know, we, we expect seventeen percent R- ROCE, we expect earnings to be strong. So that gives me some confidence in the stock pickers market, as Jim is saying. These are some high quality companies that are on sale. Look, I, I own JP Morgan for a while. I mean I've owned it since, you know, its peak and, and I've been I'll uh, accumulate it at these levels. So that gives me confidence you get companies like a JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley and you can kind of have to separate out the companies in the financials as we've talked about. But mm-hmm. for him to come out to say that today when people are looking at what's credit going to look like, what's housing going to look like JP Morgan's exposed to all this stuff. They're exposed to m and International. So that gives a little bit of confidence to kind of that's why you've got a little bit of a bump today.
1: Bryn, I got one for you, too, uh, in a stock that's gotten hammered uh, over the last year. Facebook, too cheap to ignore for you.
3: Yeah, well, I, I sold Amazon, which was also down, and I, I, I moved into Facebook. And so when I look at the two want well, to look at those two stocks they are totally different. Obviously, they have really nothing in common except they're both big tech, big cap tech is that if I look at trailing, you know, trailing PE, one is at 55 Amazon and one's at 14, you know, Facebook's doing stock buybacks. And so once again, if the market's under pressure, if the Nasdaq's under pressure, they will both continue to go down. But I think at a 14 PE and growing and that it's, it's gotten really so beaten up, I just wanted to switch out and go into that. And I think that brings up you know, another, another opportunity is there are so many stocks that are down 40, 50, 60%. And that's where this is a, a really interesting opportunity to go through and kind of like dig through the rubble because two, three, four, five years from now, the markets will look very different. And so I don't think we're at a bottom. I don't know if we're at a bottom. I don't spend too much time trying to figure out the exact point, but I do know like smart dollar cost averaging or looking at good companies You know, over the long term, this will give you some good entry points. I think when you when you have that longer term lens,
1: you know, part of the problem is we we look at these stocks that have come down so much and you say, okay, you know, these stocks look cheap, X, Y, Z stocks down 70 percent. It's a great company. Earnings projections haven't really fallen. So stocks look pretty cheap. Markets come down uh, a lot in and of itself. Maybe this is the bottom. Maybe this is fair value. Scott Minard says the problem with that is that the bottom doesn't usually happen, even though things are fair valued. Let's listen to him in Davos. We can react on the other side.
4: Because markets typically don't bottom when they're fairly valued, right? Markets tend to overshoot. And when you say have a day like we had on Friday with a heavy sell-off, which was a key reversal, which should tell us that you know, near term we're going to see a rally. But rallying off of a VIX that's at 30... I mean, historically, we need to be north of 40, closer to 50 to get a, to get a real bottom. And so, you know, I think that, that uh, until we see some real panic, uh, we're not going to, to have a real bottom. And, you know, like I say, bear markets don't end at fair value. They tend to overshoot.
1: He was negative with me the other day on, on uh, overtime last week as well. And he sort of changed his tune a little bit from where he was over the past month to, to six weeks. What do you
2: make of that? I think you have to I think you have to find validity in what he's saying. And so that asks the question to me, then, why are you so bullish? And I think the answer is, at least in part, that we've been going through this for four months now. Um, and I've been wondering this as well. I talk to a lot of the, the technicians. It's not my forte, but, you know, a lot of them are looking at not just the VIX, Scott, but also the put-to-call ratio, things like that, and saying, we're just not there yet. What if, you know, this time it's just been spread out over months? I don't want to utter the famous false words of this time. It's different. But you kind of are. But this— yeah, I guess I kind of am, but the, but the corollary to that, that is it doesn't always have to look the same. I mean, this has been one long, drawn-out bottoming process, if you ask me. And maybe that's why we're not getting that sharp, capitulative, uh, you know, bottom that everybody's looking for. Well, because the Fed has kind of just started doing its thing. So this is a great point. And what if the Fed's work is being done for it by the markets? I mean, this well, is well, you know, what
1: if there's a lot more to come, and the, and the market, only part of the market has gotten the message. I mean, I understand that the bond market's gotten the message. Yep. Obviously, the equity market's gotten the message. But the actual credit markets that make the economy tick yep. and work have been, f- it's for a the great, most part, fine. It's a great fine. point. Scott, it's a great the question. Point. Becomes what happens if that dynamic changes? It, I'm, you, you answer the question. I'm looking up a. Um, all right, but but a, you know a, I a take great Rick comfort. In, in, I, I think minute. it's a
2: great point, and the reason I'm taking comfort from Jamie Dimon today, and I think the market is as well, is if there were strong credit concerns, I think he of all people would have said so today. I think today would well, have been a great time. Well, there's none now. The problem, I, I hear you, but here's he's a cautious issue. guy.
1: Well, yeah, but here's the issue: as the Fed continues to tighten yeah. and QT actually starts if that starts a credit issue in in any way. Uh, and there, therein lies the, the problem. Now, there are some like Rick Reeder, who, who had a tweet thread earlier today, who suggested if, in fact, that happens, it is possible that the disruption of smoothly functioning financial markets leads the Fed to stop tightening well before inflation decelerates to its 2% target, which would imply or signal that the Fed is comfortable with a slightly higher inflation target. That gets the Fed to sort of move away from its uh tightening regime.
2: Yeah, I mean, that, that comment makes me say, yikes, we're talking about capital markets freezing up. OK, I'm glad we're not there yet. I get the point. Of he's saying it might happen. Um, let me succinctly say this. What I would most like to see, to, to feel better about things, are some tangible signs of inflation coming down, not coming down to 2 percent, but just moving in the right direction. By no means am I saying the Fed isn't going to keep tightening. They've said they're doing 250 basis points hikes at least the market accepts that there's no way they're not going to do that but if we get some signs that it's working that you know that demand is easing off just enough to keep the economy growing but inflation peaking uh that can that can send us higher
1: so speaking here. of the fed uh brin th- this is a big week uh bostic is speaking as we speak and Leisman's monitoring that for headlines we'll bring those to you the fed Chair is talking at an event Tomorrow, nothing specific, but you've got to believe that uh, this is going to be topical at the very least. Wednesday, you get the minutes out as well. And then you have a number of earnings that could give you clarity on a number of fronts, given some of the news lately. Zoom reports today we will have those results in the stock move, of course, in overtime. So you're going to get a look into one of the once flying Uh, stay at home stocks that's come down a lot Wednesday you get NVIDIA you get a look into the overvalued growth trade if you want to call it that because that was a stock that's at least was at 30 times sales it's been cut in half and the stocks come down a lot Uh, that's one to keep an eye on and then you get Costco which gives you another read on inflation and margin so it's a big week on a number of fronts Bryn.
3: For sure I think the Fed will be the most important and I, I feel pretty confident the Fed will continue to talk really tough because once again, Fed funds are only at 1% and they haven't even started QT. And so them talking really tough, doing these incremental rate hikes is, is, is really affecting the market, but it's not affecting the broad economy yet. And so I think they're gonna continue those two 50 basis point rate hikes, and will continue to have a really strong tone. We'll see if the market though has digested that strong tone they continue to have, but I just still think the Fed is in a really tough position because we have not had this type of inflation since the 70s and then the 40s. And so, you know, this academic Fed outside of Jay Powell, I don't know if they have the right tools to fix this, because ultimately this is a lot about supply change. It's about over overstimulating the economy, and this is just going to take time to work off. And so, you know, we'll see what, what comes Wednesday. But to me, those Fed minutes will be the most important thing that I'm focusing on this week.
1: Yeah. Joe, you know, NVIDIA, um, I know people are going to be closely watching that. And maybe that's the most important earnings report of the week for obvious reasons, a, a real window into – this growth trade and and stocks that have gotten banged up a lot and you know if you have anything in your earnings report that doesn't satisfy the street your stock's been going down 20 plus percent day of
5: well i made a difficult decision choosing between nvidia or amd just last week i shared that with you i sold nvidia at 180 on tuesday and I was concerned about having too much exposure to the semiconductor industry uh, by selling in NVIDIA was because the valuation is at a 46% premium relative to AMD. Gaming is slowing down. That's that's obvious with NVIDIA. You're going to hear that from them relative uh, to the comps of 2021. They're losing pricing power. So I I think for investors, look, we're, we're talking about within markets the opportunity for a tradable bounce but we're, we're not going out and accepting excessive leverage exposure in a lot of these longer duration assets thinking that we're finding some form of a bottom I, I you know Jim mentioned capitulation before capitulation is not going to come in the form of price it's not a moment in time it's a process over time Scott capitulation is going to have to come from the Federal Reserve to Brin's point when not only do they talk more aggressive, but their actions are even more aggressive. Man, I don't aggressive. think they can talk any more That's aggressive than over- they have.
1: I don't think they can talk any more aggressively okay, I want- than they have. I don't know what else they need to say.
5: Okay, Okay. What they, need, what, they, what they need to say is that there is no ceiling on on a monthly interest rate hike. It could be 50, it could be 75, it could be 100, it could be 125 basis points if it needs to be in responding to inflation. That's what capitulation looks like in the market. That's when ultimately we'll be able to begin the recapture and recovery process for
1: risk assets. Well, the chances of them saying that seem to be slim and none.
2: Well, they've already said what they want to do, and they don't want to surprise anything. I mean, I think the question that I have to Joe as a representative of the overall market that's looking for a bottom is, aren't we surprised that we haven't had capitulation yet? I mean, mean this honestly is an inquiry. We've been looking for capitulation for weeks. Normally, when you start looking for it, it comes a heck of a lot sooner than that. Well, the
1: only, I mean, look, markets er are. Go ahead, Joe, quick, and then we're taking a break. Yeah.
5: So uh, unfortunately, Jim, the the, the Federal Reserve in normalizing all of this is moving too slow. So real estate valuations are still still too high. You have, you know, a lot of speculation and leverage still in the crypto asset market. There are places within the market where, no, you have not seen the capitulation and you have not extracted that excessive speculation.
1: All right. Hey, Bryn, real quick. you, You bought Nvidia puts just to wrap that conversation up going into the number.
3: Yeah, I own, the, I own the stock and I, I agree with everything Joe said. And look what happened to Target. Look what happened to Ross. Look what happened to Coinbase. You can pick any other name. You know, the algos are taking these stocks down 20, 25%. And so I own the name and wanted to buy some protection. So, you know, I bought some puts going into Wednesday because I didn't want to be, you know, naked on that, na- naked on that earnings day because it could be, it could, be, could disappoint the street.
1: Okay, we will take that break. Software stocks coming up, uh, falling 30% this year. Now there's a bearish call out on the entire group today. We're going to tell you about the, the stocks, the price targets, because a ton of stocks got their price targets slashed, uh, maybe late, considering a lot of them have already come down. But we'll go through the list when we come back. Halftime's back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry leading on time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business
0: keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's one-billion-member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started.
1: Much-needed relief rally. I think we can all agree on that, right? I mean that's kind of how it's been eight straight down weeks for the Dow It was seven straight for the Nasdaq and the S&P and you are getting a lift today whether it is just because of that Markets due do for a bear market bounce uh, maybe Jamie Dimon's comments are giving a little bit of relief as well it doesn't even matter what you cite the fact of the matter is stocks are at the highs of the day Dow's up nearly 700 better than 2% almost two and a quarter. S&P is uh, trying to work its way back towards the 4000 level. It's thirty nine seventy six near two percent. Nasdaq up one and a half percent. Two eighty six is the yield on the 10 year. I did mention before the break this software stock cut Uh, price cuts across the board. Atlassian, Snowflake, Datadog, Sumo Logic, Elastic, Cloudflare, Smartsheet, Asana, Veronis, CrowdStrike, Sentinel One, Workday and uh, Zora. So it's been uh, across the board. Jim, you own Salesforce and Microsoft. The new Microsoft target is 325 from 400.
2: Okay, still a nice gain from here. And, you know, those two stocks you mentioned, Microsoft and Salesforce, uh, they have earnings and they don't have ridiculous multiples on those earnings. A lot of those other names are trading on sales and still, in my opinion, too high multiples on those sales. So, look, I'm not I'm not overexposed in software and the ones I have are the high quality to this analyst report. I I say to myself, well, you know, you're doing this now a a year after this uh, debacle has begun. Uh, Where were you back then? Um, I I really am comfortable with
1: Microsoft and Salesforce. Those other names, I wouldn't touch them. Sirat, Microsoft is the only one really on this list I think you have, right?
4: Yeah. And and I agree with Jim, uh, or hardly. I mean, you look at all the divisions Microsoft has, their multiples come down, strong cash flow. And if you look at kind of what's going to happen over the next couple quarters, I mean, they're going to be sitting there with increased cash flow. They could buy back more shares. They could increase their dividends. or uh, they can actually, you know, reinvest back in the business. So uh, for Microsoft, this is a great opportunity for, for investors like us uh, because some of their competitors now, uh, you know, are trading at eight times sales and, and who knows if the earnings ever come. So uh, if you're competing against them, it's an easy way to go to your competitors and say, hey, are you sure you want to be with some of these companies? Because look at us and we're going to be around for a long time.
1: Joe, are these are these targets, um, They make they make sense? I mean, Microsoft's at 261. So the new price target, three twenty-five. I mean, clearly it represents the new world that we're we're in. Uh, the question is, are estimates and targets still too high?
5: No, I think estimates are are coming down correctly. Uh, the big challenge for all these software companies, and I think collectively, why everyone who sits on the desk has really advocated steering away from higher valuation software names is. The cost of capital is still a moving target and long duration assets, which exactly these businesses are long duration assets, except in the case of a a name like Microsoft, which is, you know, has that free cash flow generation right in front of it here and now. But that revenue generation, if the cost of capital is a moving target and you have to fund your operations, you don't know what that cost ultimately is going to be. And that's why I don't think you could step out right now and accept the risk in a lot of these software names, you have to be very conservative and judicious, stay high high up in quality, low valuations, and be respective to what's the debt levels on these companies. I'm
1: looking, you know, for example, uh Surat, Microsoft, the PE is is 27. Does it deserve to be at 27 in this kind of a market?
4: Well, if you look at the growth rate of the SP, which over time is six to seven percent, and Microsoft's double that, you should definitely be trading at a much better premium than the s p and a 26 for a cash flow company that is increasing cash flow over the years is a proven track record absolutely i think uh you know does 26 go down if the overall market comes down yes but with double digit growth and a strong increasing dividend i think microsoft deserves a premium the question is you know the market falls down to 35 3700 multiples compressed but longer term Uh, a lot more comfort in holding a microsoft than holding some of
1: these stocks i I guess i'm sorry but i guess my point is the, the the market multiple has already come down there are a lot of stocks that some would make the argument haven't come down close enough to a market multiple or if they deserve a premium to the market multiple they're still too high it's not a matter of if
4: so no no but microsoft's traded over 35 times it's also come down to 26. So I think it's come down, but you pay an extra premium for growth that the market can't give you. And that's what the promise Microsoft has is it's a higher growth and and, and, and more, um, you know, less volatile growth than some of the other growthy, uh, growthier names.
1: Yeah. Um, Bryn, growth at a reasonable price yeah. is how yeah. people so, would, would talk about mm-hmm. stocks like this. The, the question is, is it a reasonable price for the amount of growth you're likely to get over the next, I don't know, 12 months minimum?
3: So, so when I look at the NASDAQ, and if you look at the NASDAQ multiple on a forward earnings, so let's just make the assumption that the collective NASDAQ makes those said earnings, has come down from 33 to it's almost 20 today. So the forward multiple on the NASDAQ 100 is 20, and so which is average. Average only going back to like 2006, though. And so I do think, though, because we're in this different type of environment that the multiple of Microsoft could easily come down because it's not what multiple we should or shouldn't pay. It's what multiple the market wants you to pay for it. So I own Microsoft. It's a long term holding, but I am totally open to the idea that at 27, that that could easily need to come down when the the NASDAQ itself is at 20 on a a forward basis. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Jim?
2: Yeah, I think it's a valid point. It's why I'm way underweight. Microsoft, I have about a 3% position in it, but I want you to consider something. What does that mean the weighting in the S&P 500 is? It is 6%. I'm not an ETF buyer, Scott. You heard me say pick stocks before, but the truth of the matter is, as the market goes up, part of that is going to be people buying spiders and QQQs, where I think it's 10%. Microsoft is going to participate in any rally, but I'm underweighted. For exactly the reason you're saying.
1: Okay. All right. Coming up, the ETFs to watch today. Plus, we are going to go live to JP Morgan's Investor Day, We already brought you some of the headlines. More are coming out from that meeting. Our Leslie Picker is there. And do not miss a CNBC special program that's coming up tonight at 6 Eastern. Inflation and your stocks hosted by Becky Quick. That is tonight, 6 Eastern. We're right back.
0: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
6: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close?
7: And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. With the S&P 500 on the verge of bear market territory, what should long-term investors be doing? Let's talk to a man who runs a firm that's built its reputation on that long-term investing. Gerard O'Reilly is co-CEO of Dimensional Fund Advisors. Dimensional has $659 billion in assets under management and counts Nobel Economics Prize winner Eugene Fama on their board. Gerard, even long-term investors might be tempted to pull money out of the market right now. What are you telling your investors to do now, and what does history
8: tell us about these kinds of periods? Thanks, Bob. Good to see you. Uh, We think it's important to set the right expectations for investors. So regardless of what is going on in the market, we tell people that investing in stocks is inherently risky. If it wasn't, you wouldn't expect to earn a higher rate of return than investing in a money market fund. But there's ways to manage that risk, Bob. And those are staying disciplined, having a plan uh, so that you have the right mix of stocks, bonds and cash, uh, staying well diversified and making time work for you. There's also ways to make it more risky, Bob, and that's by trying to time markets, uh, sacrificing diversification by chasing fads or sacrificing discipline uh, in the face of market volatility. We think that it's important to stay disciplined and if you do, you reap the rewards that uh, long-term investments in stocks have to offer.
7: And now, uh, investors are spooked, Gerard, that the Fed is going to overshoot and induce a recession. What is your research, and you have Nobel Prize winners on your board, what does your research indicate about investment returns after sharp downturns?
8: You know, after a sharp downturn, uh, Bob, you can look forward one year, three years, five years. And if you look back over the past hundred years' worth of data that we have now, Uh, What you find is returns tend to be strong and positive after periods of sharp downturns over all of those investment horizons. Often before a recession, markets decline in anticipation of pain in the real economy, and that's giving you that pain all at once. But then if you exclude the peak of the economic cycle or the trough of the economic cycle, returns during a recession or expansion have been similar uh, when it comes to market rates of return. So we think it's important to stay the course because returns on average have been positive. Okay, much more on ETF Edge at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Now, we're going to talk with
7: Gerard about, number one, the perils of market timing, which he discussed, understanding your risk profile and how Dimensional is generating alpha for their clients. Also joining us, Dave Nodig, the financial futurist at Vetify. This is their newly renamed company formerly known as ETF Trends. It's ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime back right after this.
9: I'm Frank Collins your CNBC News update at this hour. While in Tokyo, President Joe Biden told reporters that the U.S. would would be willing to intervene militarily if China were to invade Taiwan. In the past, American presidents have opted for a strategic ambiguity, sidestepping the question of how the U.S. would react if China invaded Taiwan. A White House official later appeared to walk back the comments as a Chinese spokesperson expressed, quote unquote, firm opposition to President Biden's comments. 100 million people have been forced to flee conflict, violence, human rights violation and persecution. That's new data accorded from the UN Refugee Agency. That's the highest number ever and just over 1% of the global population. That grim milestone was propelled by the war in Ukraine and other deadly conflicts all around the world. And a hopeful sign, a military plane carrying enough infant formula for more than a half a million baby bottles arrived on Sunday in Indianapolis. This is the first of several flights expected to arrive from Europe aimed at relieving a shortage that has sent parents scrambling all around the U.S. President Biden authorized the use of an Air Force plane because no commercial flights were available. That's the very latest. Scott, back over to you.
1: Appreciate that, Frank Holland. J.P. Morgan shares they are soaring today as it meets with investors. Leslie Picker on site in New York with the very latest. It's been a while since we've had one of these meetings. Leslie, I already mentioned some of the headlines that have come out and really got that stock shooting higher today.
6: Yeah, Scott, everybody here really has an extra pep in their step based on that stock price that we're seeing. Uh, But yes, we are here at J.P. Morgan's first investor day since before the pandemic. And so far, those shareholders have not been disappointed. Shares are up more than seven percent. On higher outlook on an important profitability metric, J.P. Morgan revealing in slides that net interest income, excluding markets, will surpass $56 billion in 2022. That's up from prior guidance of 53 billion thanks to rising rates which serve as a tailwind for nii such optimism surrounding jp morgan spilling into its rate sensitive peers with bank of america city wells fargo also just surging today jp morgan's confidence in raising its nii outlook also implies that the firm doesn't see an imminent threat of recession, Chairman and CEO Jamie Dimon said in his presentation earlier that he thinks the U.S. economy is still strong thanks to monetary and fiscal stimulation, but significant risks remain. Of course,
7: that strong economy being met by two countervailing forces, both of which you've never seen before. Okay, high inflation, QT. And, obviously, the, the Fed's going to try to meet it. We don't know the outcome. That's your guess. But, you know, we can have a good scenario all the way to a bad scenario. And the war in Ukraine, the humanitarian crisis, the impact on the global economy, ruling the global oil markets, wheat markets, commodity markets, et cetera, wars have unpredictable outcomes.
6: Also, a short while ago, just before the presentations broke for lunch, the firm gave some additional guidance uh, related to investment banking. That revenue, those fees expected to be down 45 percent in 2Q. That's the way it's trending. While trading revenue is supposed to see gains of 15 to 20 percent, you saw, at least in the first quarter, income from trading was about double where it was from investment banking fees. So the fact that, you know, we could see as high as 20 percent is would be a, definitely a positive for for that stock, Scott.
1: Yeah. Les, I appreciate it. Any other headlines come out, you let us know. That's Leslie Picker always following the money for us on the half. So, Jim, Jane Fraser was uh, on with Sarah earlier from Davos, said bank stocks were undervalued. You own Citi. Yep. Right. You've been uh, I mean, it's been a painful stock to own. Whew. But you're looking now to add more. It goes right back to where we started this conversation at the top of the show.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I start with the central big picture thesis of there is no recession imminent. And if that's the case, then the credit losses that people have been worried about, both on the consumer and the corporate side, are not imminent either and i think frankly scott that's why the market is reacting so positively to jamie diamond's comments because he has been cautious right six weeks ago when he gave his first quarter report he was very cautious and it kind of roiled the markets at the beginning of the pandemic he was cautious in the fourth quarter of 2018 he was cautious so this is a guy who is appropriately cautious when things get uncertain and now he's kind of getting a little positive and miss frazier too you don't buy it? Maybe
1: nope. he's just, well, I'm just saying maybe he's getting positive. Maybe he's just not quite as ne- as negative that matters, as a though. lot of others. That so matters. it's being perceived as positive, even though he, I'm sure, it would be the first to tell you how uncertain the environment clearly is. It's just the market being so dour lately is looking for anything to wrap its arms around. And it doesn't hurt that he makes these comments on a day where you were kind of due for a bounce anyway. Uh, Put it all in the pot today and stir it up and you you have what you have so you know it's hard to pin it on one particular thing but Dow's up 654 as we speak your points well taken all right big gains for energy this year we're going to debate how you should be trading that sector the reason being some say it is the last sector standing Can it remain that way? We will find out. Plus, during May, we are celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage, featuring some of our CNBC teammates and contributors. Here's my colleague, Melissa Lee, host of CNBC's Fast Money.
3: I'm a better journalist because I'm Chinese-American. I think back to my grandparents, Uh, my grandfather and my grandmother came to this country with not a penny to their name. They didn't even speak English and they came here to give their children a shot at the American dream. So I bring that perspective and I think about that every day when I'm on the job.
1: Energy, best performing sector this year, up 50 percent. So, Bryn. I'm turning to you for obvious reasons. And the reason I bring this up today is because they've come after every sector. Staples, the defensive trade was working so well until they hammered it last week. Now some wonder whether energy is the next and last sector to get hit. Jonathan Krinsky, while we respect relative strength, it's unlikely this bear market concludes without a meaningful shakeout in energy. Now I know why the energy trade continues to work and I think most people do too. There are many other factors involved in in why that trade has been what it has. But what about now and what about that view?
3: Yeah, I mean, energy's been walking tall all year long. I think that, you know, Jonathan makes a good point that it's 30% above its 200, 200 day moving average, which you haven't seen, I think, in two decades. But what I would say is that we haven't been in this environment in the last two decades. And I still go back and say, you know, energy a year and a half ago was about 2.8% of the S&P. Right now, it's about 4.8% of the S&P. What's also interesting, Scott, is that this year, energy will contribute contribute $18 to the S&P's bottom line. So the S&P does $226. Energy will contribute 18 of those dollars, so close to 18%, although it's less than a 5% sector. And so I think the earnings are real there, and so the returns are justified. But I I do see that people are still very skeptical of energy. It's had a wonderful two-year return. But energy, relative to the S and P, it's still really cheap. Um, so I mean, I like energy. I think I'm gonna am I'm gonna stay in the space. But I, I I do I do hear what what he's saying, what other people are saying, is that it has has a nice run. But you do get great dividends, even if you didn't get much capital appreciation. Something like a Devon is still paying you an eight percent dividend. I'll take that all day long, even if Devon does nothing.
2: What do you think? I look. I think uh, it's due for a short-term pullback. Um, But I think the reason it hasn't, Scott, is people are using this as a hedge for what goes on with Ukraine. I think it's just that simple. I think if people say it gets worse there, they want to have some energy exposure just in case oil goes to $200 a barrel. That said, I think it's due for a pullback. I I have to agree with Jonathan on this.
1: Surat, you own Chevron, among others. Chevron today got downgraded at SockGen, but you've got Apache. Uh, I think it's Apache. Chevron, EOG, Pioneer, you've got some pretty good exposure
4: yeah and and i've been actually i mean i agree with brent i think you know you want to be here but i i, I would take profits on some of the, the speculative the apaches of the world Take some off the top those things have had a great run and really what you're holding off here scott to your point is if the market's sniffing recession it doesn't really matter what happens then oil's going to come down just because it's going to be demand destruction um, and even if you're hedged against what's going on in the rest of the world that services side of our economy is going to slow down. People are going to be driving, trucks are going to be on the road. Uh that's going to hurt. So, you know, when some of these stocks have done so well like the Apaches of the world, no question takes them off, but I do like my large integrated I want exposure there uh, because I do think the secular demand for energy is still going to be there even though 2 years ago everybody was talking get out, get out, get out. Um, you know, I think you want to be uh, in, in part of this market.
1: Okay. Coming up we are ready to answer your questions. You can email us halftime at cnbc.com. This is sell off and bounce edition. We'll call it that. We have a great question for the panel coming up. All right, let's answer some of your questions now. Kareem in Washington, D.C. asks the following As someone in their 30s, how would you recommend putting your money to work? With the volatile market, should I just be looking for high dividend stocks and tips? Brent, why don't you take that first?
3: Yeah, let's start. Let's start with tips. Um, I wouldn't do tips. You know, tips move up and down with CPI. And actually, if you look at the ETF TIPS, TIPS, it's down about six and a half percent for the year. So that has not that has not traded as it should have. I would actually look for your and go to your high dividend yielding space. There's a really good ETF, HDV. It's a 75 U.S. companies. They screen for quality. It's got three and a half, about three and a half percent yield, owns healthcare, financials, energy and industrials.
1: Joe, without Recommending the Jyoti without being overtly mm-hmm. talking your own book. <laughs> what would your answer be?
5: Kareem's in his 30s. Equities, without question. Small caps, mid caps, large caps, technology, healthcare, financials, industrials, all of it. Be in equities, Kareem.
1: Okay. Surat.
4: I would view a combination of uh, SPY and the value 1,000. I think if you don't need this money for 5 to 10 years, you buy a basket of diversified equities and
1: you let it grow. Farmer Jim.
2: I like everybody's answers in terms of staying away from tips. Uh, That's not for me. Uh, I agree with dividend-paying stocks. I think you just have to remember that stocks are a great hedge against inflation over the long run, so materials and energy stocks. Or where there are sustainable dividends.
1: All right, we appreciate that question. I'm sure a lot of you do have questions in this crazy and volatile environment that we're in. Please send them along. As we said, we'll do our best to get them on the air. Final trades are next. Overtime tonight, 4 o'clock Eastern. I said Zoom earnings. We got to see those because it gives us more insight into that trade. High flying tech that got really hammered down to earth. What now? Liz Young will join me as well as will Chris Heisey. We'll get to the bottom of this bounce see if it has legs or not. So I'll see you in a few hours. Let's do final trades. Bryn, go first.
3: Um, BHP, it's a leading miner in copper, oil, um, zinc. It pays over a 9% dividend. Um, I think it's a a good long-term hold with a dividend over the long-term average of the S&P.
1: Okay, thank you. Surat,
4: Morgan Stanley, I think the comments from Jamie Diamond are going to give a tailwind to the stock, 60 percent wealth management. Very little credit exposure. The stocks come down quite a bit. Uh, I want to own this.
1: All right. We will see if, in fact, it's a new environment for bank stocks because they just have not done well, as everybody knows. Uh, Joe yeah. T.
5: Asset managers are a second derivative trade off of a recovery in the equities market. I initiated a
2: position in T. Rowe price accordingly this morning.
1: Okay, very interesting. Farmer Jim, why don't you wrap it up?
2: Uh, probably no surprise, Scott. Cleveland Cliffs, you know how I feel about the company. And yes, if, I do. If, again, if there's no recession, I understand you meant Mr. Gonçalves uh, not that long I ago. Did. That I did. I ran into fun. him
1: on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. He said he watches every day, and he loves you. <laughs> I mean, for obvious reasons. He's got, you're the biggest promoter he's, of his He's
2: doing a phenomenal stock. job. He's doing a phenomenal job. It's my final trade. <laughs> All right, good
1: stuff. I'll see you in a, in a few hours. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
7: We could try to explain what it's like to get your work done on a John Deere mower, compact tractor, or Gator XUV. But to really understand the feeling, you just have
1: to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.